Homesteads and Homeschools as part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out This Week in Liberpods, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican. folks here we are at homesteads and homeschools episode number 92 just one week away from episode 93 how about that tuesdays baby yeah so 92 episode 92 what does that mean that means you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash zero nine two and what will you find there all sorts of goodies that you'll hear about at the end of the show so stick around for that because i know you're dying just dying to hear um what's in the show notes, right? Anyway, um, yeah, so episode 92, uh, I've got another homesteady type guest on for you all. i kind of fallen out of sync, and um, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, right now, it's just, let's find a guest um, on a week-by-week basis. Before, I was, I was getting this all planned out, and I had this, everything all done ahead of schedule, and man, I'm just getting behind the eight ball. And so, uh, I don't have time to, to organize them, in the homestead, homeschool, homestead, homeschool fashion that I was in the beginning. And you don't really care, but I told you anyway. So my guest this week is uh, from Fairy Kennels up in Maine. And uh, why? Why dogs? What? what uh, dogs on the homestead, right? Um, she knows a whole lot about uh, livestock guardian dogs. I mean, like a whole lot. And uh, I've been trying to find somebody for quite some time to you know just chat a little bit about them. And what they are and what they do and all their their uses. Um, some of this I think is spurred because uh, you know we have two uh, Great Pyrenees that are uh, semi well trained. Could be a whole lot better, but um, just because you know it's 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 a good resource. And I do think you know I mentioned it in the show. Uh, I think if I ever had to do dogs again, I would abstain from getting any sort of indoor outdoor slash pet dog and i would go with just the uh the lgds because believe it or not they are they have so much more to offer than just the uh generic mutts that are out there and uh yeah they can come inside too you know uh, believe it or not so anyway we'll get into it and you guys can learn all about it and hear all about it uh, so let's let's go plant those seeds of liberty with my guest My guest today is uh, Miss Tarma from uh, Fairy Kennels. And uh, for a while, I'd wanted to find somebody to come on and talk about dogs, and I didn't have luck. And uh, I found someone, and, and she was gracious enough to come on, and we're going to talk about dogs today, all, all sorts of different things. And um, I'll, I'll let her tell you about it, but uh, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate your, your time. Absolutely. So there's, I know there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but um, so you're, have you always had dogs? Have you always had like been a, been a dog person or when did, when did you get interested in dogs in general, I guess? 
I actually uh, grew up in an environment that had dogs. My mother raised and trained dogs for police departments and protection work when I was a kid. So it's something that I've always been around. <clears throat> she worked with a multitude of different breeds, uh, from German Shepherds and Great Danes to helping people train their individual pets for good citizenship and just overall making their lives and relationships with their owners better. So I really grew up in an environment where dogs were expected to have a certain level of obedience and behave in a certain way. Uh, we also moved to a farm when I was very young. So I spent most of my life in a farm environment and with farms comes farm dogs. And we grew up with a multitude of mixed breed, uh, general farm dogs that kind of hung out with us and followed us everywhere when we were kids. And I really don't remember a time when there wasn't a dog. Yeah. That's good. So you've, you've been, you've, you've seen them all the way through. That's, that's cool. Um, when did you get into training them like yourself or, or figure, start trying to figure that, that end of things out other than just, you know, sitting back and, and watching a parent do it? When did you start getting involved? The first dog that I actually trained, um, I got as a four-week-old puppy out of, uh, you know, a typical oops litter. That's what happened in the time that I grew up in, you know. Uh, I raked leaves and got a puppy. (laughs) I did obedience training with it based on my, you know, what I'd learned from from my mother. And I had her all the way up through being a teenager. and even had her when I first moved away from home. So I've kind of been doing it my entire life. My first formal uh, training uh, in order to do obedience training with dogs happened in 2012 when I took a part-time job at PetSmart of all places as something to do. Uh, it was kind of a fill the time type job. So I took one as an obedience trainer and they sent me to school to, you know, polish up my skills. And I decided to become certified at that point in canine behavior. And it kind of went forward from there. That's impressive because I, when I was a kid, we had a, a lab that my parents got from he was like a Navy guy that was moving and he couldn't have a dog in his apartment. And she was like super trained, like, you know, just really good retrieving type dog. She did everything. And I, I didn't, I don't have the time to, to do that when I was a kid. I, I'm impressed that, uh, you, you stuck with it when you were little like that. It's, uh, I think it's like every little kid's dream to like get a dog and train it. And then, you know, you get the dog and you have it for a week and it's kind of over with, but, um, I think farm life, uh, raises you with a different perspective. I had a horse as a kid that I was expected to take care of. I had responsibilities from the time I could pull on my boots all by myself. And that carries over to other aspects of your life. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm starting to see a little bit of that, a little bit of that sometimes um, with, with, with my own kids um, to a degree, you know, like my kid has chickens that are specifically his and, you know, it's his job to get out there every day and, you know, there's days that, uh, that they hate it, but he knows like he's got to do it, you know, cause if he doesn't do it, um, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so, but, uh, <laughs> so, um, what, what are livestock guardian dogs? What, what is an LGD? Um, 
What what would you call that? How would you define that? Livestock guardian dogs are actually a breed group. They're a specific set of breeds that have been selectively bred over time for certain traits that allow them to do the job we ask them to do. Much like there are retrievers and there are herders and there are pointers, there are livestock guardian dogs. And it's we try to explain to people regularly that it is a breed group, a specific breed group. It is not a job title. When did you start um, working with with specifically that that working group there, that, that group? In, I want to say, 2000, <clears throat> 2007, somewhere in there, um, I had been breeding runner ducks, and I got an odd coloration and started playing around with genetics taking classes, um, turned into a hobby and started breeding specifically for color. And then I had a fox come in and start taking birds. Uh, at the time in my life, I had a Rottweiler and a Shih Tzu and neither one of those were any help. So I attempted to make my pens better. And really what I did was I made it so that the ducks couldn't get away. And uh, one night he got in and wiped out my entire breeding program. So I decided that I needed one of those dogs from my childhood that was livestock safe and roamed around the farm and kept everybody, you know, safe from the smaller predators. And I stumbled across livestock guardian dogs, which I had never heard of before. They are not in use on the East Coast the way that they are out West. And I decided that that was the dog for me. And it took me two years to find a breeder and a breed that I thought would work for us. And it snowballed from there. <laughs> so I bought my first one in 2009. Okay. All right. What did, what did you go with? What was your, your first one? I bought a Turkish Kangal. Uh, they are a livestock guardian breed, obviously from Turkey. I was intrigued by their purported loyalty and intelligence. And I have always liked working with animals with intelligence. I think that's why I uh, enjoy working with horses. Um, and I bought her as a nine-week-old puppy. Uh, she weighed 23 pounds, which I didn't realize. She did not fit in the crate I brought with me <laughs> to go get her. <laughs> I'd never had a nine-week-old puppy that weighed that much. Um, and they were not as popular in this country as some of the other breeds. And I think that drew me to them as well. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think, I think when I, like when I think of, of the LGDs, it's your typical, I don't know, you, you get your great Pyrenees, your, your Anatolian shepherds. And then I, then I think you start getting out there and there's all sorts of different, different breeds from different countries that are, that are here. Um, and not, not widely Bread, but I, I suppose you could find them if you if you went searching. I don't I don't know how is it has it been has it been growing the the people involved in in LGDs is that that population been growing or it really has the uh, societies change um, or direction back to sustainability has actually increased the the need for livestock guardian dogs. They are considered non lethal predator management. So for people who are looking to live with their environment, they fit in very nicely with that mentality. 
the idea behind them being that they hold a territory and keep the predators from entering rather than having to kill them. Yeah, and that's and that's something we have uh, a couple great Pyrenees that we're working with, but that's something that I've noticed that like when they go after something, um, like they didn't necessarily attack it, but it was more like a, a pin it down and chase it away type thing. I don't know if that's just because the way they were, or it's that specific breed, or is that something that's specific to to the LGDs, or is it a type that is true to a large portion of the livestock guardian dogs that you see, and that is a trait that they are supposed to have. They should work on a method of holding a territory, running off a predator, and escalating if the predator refuses to leave. So there really should be a progression to how they do their job, and that's where their intelligence and discernment comes in. You want them to take each situation and handle it according to to how it needs to be handled, not just react or take out everything. Right. Are there breeds that are, are uh, I don't know, either more more tolerant of, I guess, slower to escalate and some that might, you know, see something and, and like, you know, like a predator and, and kill it straight away as opposed to trying to chase it away? Do you know, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying. In my experience, that tends to be more of an individual trait um, and a a breeder preference. So when I see a breeder that states that their breed tends to be a little harder or to escalate a little quicker, then I look at that as something that they're specifically breeding for and should not be taken as a characteristic of the breed as a whole. Okay. Uh, when I, I say the same thing when I look or hear about people looking for one that is less people friendly or more inclined to uh, be aggressive toward humans. That's something that, that they're breeding for and not something that should be purported as a breed wide trait. Gotcha. Okay. That works. Is, is there, I imagine to some degree there's a difference. Um, I'm curious though, like between a livestock guardian dog, right? A, a dog that's out kind of protecting, you know, your poultry your your cows, your goats, whatever it is that you have. And, one that's kind of patrolling the, you know, your your space for predators that include, you know, the mailman coming up the, the driveway to drop off a package or do they differentiate or do you have to train them to differentiate or is that, or I guess, can you use them as like a, a guard dog, guard dog as somebody might have a pit bull or a Rottweiler? How does that bridge? We do uh, use them and see people use them as what we call uh, property guardians. And one of the things that people need to keep in mind when they're choosing one is the individuality of the dog itself, regardless of breed, but also that they should be intelligent enough and have the discernment to look at that situation and realize it for what it is. I don't have a problem with the mailman, the UPS man, the garbage man. My dogs can take a look at that situation. They'll alert to their presence, but then they, they're supposed to watch and they're supposed to process the information in front of them and say, okay, he drops off the mail and then he goes away. And that's fine. That's okay. And when I hear people ask me about their livestock guardian dog going after the mailman, that is my answer. You need to work and help them with their discernment because until the mailman attacks your stock, he's not a problem. And, and they should not have a problem with him. We expect more intelligence out of them as an innate trait 
rather than something that needs to be trained. And you may need to help a, a young dog or um, a, a specific individual uh, learn how to differentiate. But for the most part, I would want that to be hardwired. Right. And, and I think that makes sense. That's that's always, you know, we, we grow, uh, not growing up when I was uh, probably like a decade ago, we, we got a straight pit bull. And that was the thing, everybody, you know, is you got to watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. And some of it is, is discernment, but you know, it's when you have a dog that, you know, it can be scary. You don't want it to attack somebody or go after somebody, you know, they're, they're big animals and, uh, the, the livestock guardian dogs are, are massive. I didn't realize how big they really, how big a hundred pound dog was until it got to be like hundred pounds. And you're like, wow, that's, that's massive. But, um, my side weighs 140. That's huge. <laughs> that's massive. That is amazing. He outweighs me. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, I, I hope I hope my dog does not end up outweighing us. I think he's old enough. He's he stopped putting on too much weight. But um, so are there are there different breeds that are more um, specific to maybe a type of of stock, right? Like um, you know, like I know you mentioned that there's a a difference between the East Coast and the West Coast usage, right? We don't have the big expansive um. I don't know, ranches and territories of hundreds of acres that the dogs are out um, taking care of that we do, you know, on the East Coast. We don't have those. Um, are there are there different ones that are are better suited for running with, with cows and goats like that as as opposed to maybe hanging out on a couple acres, five acres, ten acres with, with some poultry? Or is that, again, the whole breaks down to what your dog is is good at? <laughs> It breaks down. One of the things we tell people is that there's no sheep gene. You know, there is not a genetic uh, predisposition for a particular kind of stock. These dogs were created to care about what the shepherd cared about. So the two livestock guardian dogs that protect my farm proper, so to speak, uh, they have even stopped people from trying to steal my firewood. Not because it's something that they care about, but because it's something that I care about. And that's an important aspect of understanding how these guys think. So when I look at the way that a dog is going to excel in an environment, it really is based on individual and what that breeder breeds for. Even if it's subconsciously, they're going to breed for dogs that excel in their own environment. So we encourage people who are looking for their first dog to look at breeders who have an environment that's very similar to theirs, because that's what the breeder is going to be looking for in their dog. Gotcha. And and that makes sense. It's the same thing with, you know, seeds and everything else. You find the environment that, that is similar yeah. to yours and those traits have been bred in one way or another, consciously or subconsciously. So, um, do you, do you have, suggestions for people that, um, you know, they're, they're on the fence. Maybe I need one. Maybe I don't need one. Who, who doesn't need a, a livestock guardian dog or just every, everybody need one. <laughs> I had a client the other day ask me, um, because we deal a lot with the relationship between livestock guardian dogs and pet dogs, because no one exists in a bubble and all of those, all of those lives, those relationships they overlap and so sometimes that's where people struggle is getting the two types of dogs to get along and they asked me what I would have done uh, if I could look back seeing 
how my pet dogs interacted with my livestock guardians. And my answer was that I would have skipped to the pet dogs altogether and just stuck with the livestock guardians. There is a level of intelligence and a relationship there that does not exist with uh, the pet dogs that I've owned over the years. And it's unique to this breed group. However, uh, when I ask someone um, what they're looking for in a livestock guardian dog and trying to determine whether or not they actually need one, has more to do with picking the right individual for their situation rather than what their situation, uh, you know, whether or not they need one. Uh, I would much rather sell an excellent pet than a mediocre livestock guardian dog. And the law of averages says that there are occasionally going to be those individuals who don't want to work. (laughs) And I have run across those a time or two in the dogs that I've worked with. Uh, I had a young dog in my first litter where the adults would alert and the young pups would run after the adults to see what the problem was. And he would lay on the porch and be like, fine, let me know how it was, you know? And we need to make sure that we take those individual personality traits into account. And I have on occasion sold a livestock guardian dog strictly as a pet because that's the environment that I felt they would excel in. Gotcha. And I I will say having, having our, our two uh, great Pyrenees, it's, I think when I when I started looking at things, you know, briefly here and there, and it seems, you know, they're not pets, right? It's, it's not this thing, you don't have them in on the couch and, you know, they're not sleeping at the foot of your bed and all this stuff. But at the same time, the relationship you build with them is almost, almost more rewarding, I would, I would say, than, you know, the dog that comes inside and, you know, lets you pet its head once in a while kind of thing. You know, it's, it's amazing. They really are. It's more than just a a dog that's outside, um, hanging out. It's, it it is, it becomes, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I've, I've been, I don't know. It's kind of, kind of struck me as, as things have gone on. Um, I knew they were smart, but they're incredibly smart. (laughs) They are not only intelligent, but they have a level of thinking and reasoning skills that we don't typically see out of our pet dogs. Mm-hmm. And we are always pointing out the difference between obedience and intelligence and the fact that they are not the same thing. And being intelligent means that you have an agenda of your own. And I often remark that horse people do better with livestock guardian dogs because there's nothing you can force your horse to do. You know, my horse weighs 1,300 pounds. I can't make him do anything. He has to want to work with me. Uh-huh. And when I'm working with one of the livestock guardian dogs, it's much the same relationship because they're intelligent and because they have their own agenda, we have to learn to work together and we have to learn to communicate so that we can get the job done. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you had any problems with um, with your dogs and, and stock or either with stock and your dogs? I'm thinking horses, you know, um, sometimes they aren't friendly with dogs. Um, is that just something that they've they've been around dogs? I, I assume for as long as you've had them that they just kind of get used to it, or how's how's that played out for you? A couple of interesting things that I've learned uh, when I first got the paint horse that I currently have. He was a dog stomper. He would stomp first and ask questions later, and I made sure that I kept my two pet dogs out of the pasture. But when I got my first livestock guardian dog, I noticed, and it really brought home for me the difference that my horse responded to her body language and her energy much differently than he responded to my pet dog. My pet dogs were predators. He wasn't quite sure how to 
take my livestock guardian dog at first because she spoke differently. And she did not give off that same predatory vibe that my pet dogs did. And it was actually her existence that brought him around and changed the way he felt about dogs. Interesting. That's, uh, we, we have a, a couple horses and our, we have a couple little feist dogs and they got in the pasture and the, the horse, one horse was chasing it around. Um, and they're kind of okay with the, the great Pyrenees. We haven't really had them in together, but they've been, you know, alongside fences together and they're okay. And I, you got to wonder if that's part of it. You know, you got this big dog hanging out and you have this little dog kind of slinking through the weeds and not really sure what its intent is. Um, yeah. Oh man. That, that, that natural world is amazing. How many things that actually are, are being communicated that you just don't realize until you get slapped with it. One of the things I've also found, we raised Jacob sheep and they are multi-horned sheep. So they have uh, four and six horns and we pasture breed. So that means that our ram is always out with the flock. And one of the things I've noticed uh, as the generations have progressed is that the rams who grew up here understand that the dogs perform the same role that they do. And where the horses, I've actually seen my horse chase a fox across the pasture. Uh, I think there's an understanding there about the same job. And I think that's what bridges the gap between the stock and the livestock guardians. And that's the difference between the stock and the pet dogs where even pet dogs who are livestock safe still look at the stock as something to something exciting, something that might possibly be fun or depending on the breed, something that you might want to go after. Whereas the livestock guardian dogs have a totally different uh, energy about them. And they actually share some of that protective instinct that the, the, the leaders of your, you know, stock groups do. And so they're kind of united uh, in a way that you'll never have with your pet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's impressive. I, hopefully we can, we can get there. We have some goats and they're kind of getting along. They, they, some of them get along, some of them don't get along, but we have to, we have to figure that out. Goats are, I don't know, not, not as uh, sassy nasty you know they, they, they have a attitude some of them so <laughs> but um so uh, i want to get to a few more things here before we get going um is is there a, a size when i like um is there a, a ratio of like dogs to either stock animals or to acreage is there something guideline like that or is it just kind of how do you figure that out usually we go by predator load so in our tra- training program, we do recommend that you get two dogs. We do not recommend that you get them at once because that puts the focus of your training between two and they spend more time with each other than they do with you. And that can cause issues as far as communication and obedience goes. But we do recommend that at some point you do get a second one because they're social animals. And while they will play and romp with your pet dogs, it's not the same we find that most livestock guardian dogs look at pet dogs like their pets so you have a pet and your dog has a pet (laughs) and the level just because the level of intelligence isn't there and they do better with a friend uh nobody can work 24 7 you can't you can't you need a break and when you have a partner that gives you a chance to take a break 
and not have to sleep with one eye open on a constant basis. So while we do recommend that you get two of them for their mental health, the number of dogs that you need after that really has to do with your predator load and the number of incursions that you have, not the amount of stock or the amount of space that you have. So if you are in a place with a light predator load, you're going to do okay with two. But if you're in a place where you've got either multiple apex predators, wolves, coyotes, bears, mountain lions, or you have a multitude of smaller predators like fox and what have you that are going to make attempts on a more frequent basis, then you may need to have more dogs than that. And what you do is you add them in a staggered manner and you watch their responses and the predator's response to that pack increase. And then you keep adding until you get to a point where your dogs actually get to rest. And there's a practical standpoint to adding in a staggered manner because they also retire in a staggered manner. And that way you have a constant in and out of working dogs. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. And, and I, you, you brought it up. I got When do you retire your dogs? Do they have problems when you retire them? Do they get cranky that they have to like quit? Uh, most often we run into dogs who really don't want to retire. Yeah. And it really depends on the individual and the quality of the dog that you own. Um, what I tend to do, and it's one of the reasons why I have dogs guarding the farm proper, is because that's a light load. So we cycle them out of the uh, outside acreages, you know, perimeter of the property type work, and we bring them in closer to home uh, where there's less work and more time to lay in the sun. And uh, all of our dogs are house trained, have house manners. So that on a cold night, you can come in and hang out by the wood stove, <laughs> yeah. you know, for a while if you want to. And we always give them that option so that they can kind of do it as they choose as opposed to forcing it upon them. Because when you try and use force, then you get resistance. Yeah, that makes sense with everything else. Very cool. Well, I, I appreciate it. A um, couple of things before we go. It, where, where can people go to find resources on if they're they're interested in you know checking out the different breeds or um figuring out how to get started on on you know selecting a dog and and training it um where can they go to kind of figure that out well they can obviously join our training group and ask questions that's always an option uh there are some good books out there uh there's a lot of resources on the internet that can give you general information. Uh, one of the most difficult things we've found is uh, weeding out the cliches. Uh, there are a lot when it comes to livestock guardian dogs, unfortunately. And uh, the fun thing about cliches is that if you don't know better, you repeat them and pretty soon it becomes gospel. <laughs> so that's something that we're actually trying to get the word out about and encouraging people to. Uh, to ask questions, to to really apply uh, common sense to their purchase. Uh, not you're not just buying a dog; you're in, you're you're purchasing an investment, and that's no different than if you were buying a truck. You would ask questions about what that truck was capable of doing and making sure that it was going to do the job that you needed it to do. I mean, nobody buys a Prius and then complains it won't pull their horse trailer. <laughs> yeah. You know, you do your homework ahead of time, and it's important. Uh, 
that they view this as an investment because it really is. You're looking at a, you know, 10 to 15 year relationship and you're also looking at the safety of your stock. Um, buying a poorly bred or poorly trained livestock guardian dog can be more of a threat to your stock than the predators around you. So it's important to view this with the right mentality and make sure that you understand that you're not buying a puppy. You're investing in a tool to protect your livestock and you should do the research appropriately have the right mindset yeah it is it is an investment right you buy your electric fence you buy your woven wire and you think about those things you know it's not but all right and uh so i know you mentioned it a little bit your your training group there um where can we go to to find that you can uh join us on facebook uh we have fairy kennels livestock guardian dog training and education we also have a subscription service on Patreon <coughs> for Fairy Kennels, where we do obedience training videos, stock interactions, and uh, adult handling for livestock guardian dogs, because a lot of people uh, buy an older dog thinking that it will be an easier training process. So we try and help those guys out. Uh, and then we have a book coming out at the end of this year that will include uh, not only the story part of uh, our life, but the training portions as well. Awesome. I will, um, I'll put those links in the show notes and uh, stay in touch and put that, get that book out there. I know when it's out. When, it, when is it coming out? Uh, we're looking, uh, hoping to get it out in time for Christmas. Nice. Um, but. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, that's, that's, uh, I have to check that out. But And then do you, do you offer, um, you you do like in person training, right? We do in person uh, training if you're close enough to us, and if you are not, we will actually do video conferencing or uh, phone consultations to uh, you know to help you along if you need a little bit more personalized um, assistance. It can be difficult. Uh, body language is not anybody's first language. Mm-hmm. So we try and help people understand the motivation behind their dog's behavior so that they can learn to communicate. And we are willing to put that extra uh, individual training time in uh, because really we want the dog. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. And uh, I know, I guess that's, I guess that's all. There are all those links in there. People can go check it out. I, I appreciate your time today. It's, um, it's really, it's fascinating when you, you know, all the, I always knew like the different I don't know, different groups of dogs, I guess. I don't know what you call them. Um, but I never really, it took me a while to, to figure out the the livestock guardian types. And it's just, it's really, it's it's an amazing, amazing thing. I almost wish I, I had them all growing up and didn't have the other lot inside the house that I have now. <laughs> so, but all right. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. here by my lonesome i hope you guys found that interesting um it's one of those that i mean i don't know if uh, uh lgd is for everyone necessarily uh, there are probably some places where it is uh would not be the best fit but if you have an outdoor space you know you got a little bit of a little bit of room there um you know it, it's not the worst thing to have in the world they are big loving animals and they uh 
they'll give you some some protection, believe it or not, not just your your stock. So check it out if you're curious. She's got so many good things to say. The Facebook group is quite amusing, and I, I encourage you all to to go check that out if uh, if dogs are up your alley. I said at the top of the show, what can you find in the show notes? You can find links to all the things that Tarma mentioned. You can find a link to Patreon. You can find a link to uh, the Amazon link, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon. And uh, yeah, some of you guys have been using that, and I appreciate it. And it helps to keep things down, so keep keep doing that if you've been doing that. If not, go do it, because you know you buy garbage on Amazon anyway. Why not uh, help somebody out? I guess that's that's kind of it. If you have any ideas for guests, people that you'd like to see, topics you'd like to hear covered, I am all ears. Uh, go hit me up on Twitter at HS and HS pod, or send me an email, homesteadsandhomeschools at gmail.com. There's also a Keybase group that uh, has a few members popping in, in and out, in and out, and uh, you should probably go jump on that as well. A little bit better than Discord, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, come come check it out. Ask me for a link and I will send it to you because I don't know how to find it offhand, so it's going to take me a minute. Guys, thank you all of you out there for, for listening, for lending me your time your furry little ear holes and uh tell you come back next week when i will have another show another guest and uh i think i think it's gonna be interesting i think you guys will appreciate it. it's kind of a unique lifestyle within the, the kind of homestead realm of things i suppose so anyway guys that's that's it for this week so get out there sow those seeds of liberty we can all reap sheaves of freedom together